Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. My name is Jeremy Horton. I'm the college pastor here at Wildwood, and I hope I really hope that what you're able to see in that video excites you the way it excites me, and that's that we as a congregation, that we as a body, have an opportunity to impact students. And it's not because we're just some college ministry that meets in the basement, but we are collectively pouring in, investing into to college students, that they are a part of a multi-generational church, and that's why they're here. In fact, one of the goals we have as, as a college pastor and as a leadership team is that 65% of the students who are involved in college life are involved in a multi-generational relationship in some way, shape, or form, whether that's children, whether that's youth, whether that's through a mentoring relationship that we give them, whether that's through Adopt-A-Sooner. And so know that you guys play a huge role in the ministry to college students because here's what's so exciting about ministering to college students is they're not gonna stay here. We will send them out just like we send missionaries out. And so we, as a church, have an opportunity to really reach the nations through loving on college students who will be here for four years, and then we send them out. And so that excites me, and I hope it excites you, because it's an amazing, amazing opportunity for us as a church. Well, this morning, I get the opportunity to share the word with you, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to bring anything new. I'm not going to tell you something that you don't already know, but what I am hoping to do is to remind you of something that I want you to see that there is an essential truth, that there is an essential, really, statement that we have to understand in order for the rest of the Bible to begin to take shape in our life. And really, for me, I heard a talk on this uh, not too long ago by a guy named Ben Stewart, and it really kind of opened my eyes to this truth, this reality, and so I'm using his talk kind of as a framework, a baseline for where we're going this morning. And I'm excited because ultimately, it's a truth that will change us. It can't help but change us. So what we're gonna do is if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip open to 1 John. We're gonna be in chapter four. 1 John chapter four. What we're gonna do is I'm going to read it, then we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna break it down together. 1 John chapter four. If you don't have your Bible, no sweat, because it's going to be on the screen behind me. We're gonna pick up John speaking to the church here in verse seven. He says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God 
whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity for us to gather as a body of believers, to gather around your word as it is a lamp to our feet, it is a light to our path, it is the truth that remains constant. I pray that this morning as we gather around it, we are like beggars around a fire. It's our hope, our protection, our life, our comfort. Or I know as, as there's different categories of people here this morning, there's those of us who jumped in our car and couldn't wait to see what you were going to do, couldn't wait for the word to penetrate our lives, couldn't wait to gather together in community, couldn't wait to be here to worship. But I also know there's a group of us who aren't like that. We got in the car, but we've got a lot of hurt, we've got a lot of sorrow, we've got a lot of issues going on in our life, and if we're honest, we don't even know if you're present. We don't know if you care. We don't know if you're here. But regardless of which camp we fall in, God, you tell us that you are here. You tell us that you love us. You tell us that your word is good. And so I pray, Lord, as we come together, regardless of the camp we fall in, that you will change some trajectories. I pray that not only is it people coming to know you, but I pray that even those on us trajectory with you would be pushed along in that trajectory a little bit further. Lord, that's bigger than anything I can do. It's bigger than any sermon can ever do. It's bigger than Wildwood can do. That's got to be the work of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And so I pray, Lord, I pray that you have your way with us. I pray even for myself as I speak, as I stand up here, that you are changing me with your truth. It's alive and that it's at work. We give you this time in your name. We pray. Amen. So, uh, I was a college student once as well, and uh, I, my summers were not unlike any other college students where I had a lot of free time. Um, I had summers off to decide whatever it is that I wanted to do. Did I want to do an internship? Did I want to work for a summer camp? Did I want to uh, be involved in relationships? Did I want to lay on my parents' couch and do nothing the whole summer? I had the opportunity to decide what I did with my summertime. And so for two of those summers, I decided to work at a camp in Tyler, Texas called Pine Cove Christian Camps. Some of you are familiar with Pine Cove Christian Camps because they do the camp in the city here for us, and, uh, and it's amazing. In fact, I love them coming here because I see the counselors, and it kind of makes me nostalgic of those times when God was working in my life in mighty ways. He really changed me through Pine Cove Christian Camps, and so it's always exciting to see them here. But when I went to work at Pine Cove uh, during those summers, they kind of uh, tasked me with leading up the rappelling and climbing side of things. I had some background in high school and early in college of leading some groups rappelling and climbing. And so they said, hey, with your background, what we want you to do is we want you to make sure everyone's safe. We want you to teach safety. We want you to train our staffs. And then during activities and free time, we want you to help us run students through here, making sure everything is good and running smoothly. And so I was like, okay, sure, I can do that. Now, uh, if you've ever tried to teach safety to a group of teenagers, you know that you have a moment. It's there and gone. You've got a moment to tell them to be safe. And if that's all you got, then that's all you got because they're not gonna listen to you. And so I tried to do it in a creative way. See, at Pine Cove, at the time when I was there, we had a a 30-foot tower. The tower was kind of enclosed so you wouldn't ever fall off of it. And so I was like, okay, let's have the students go up the stairways all the way up to the top platform and have them sit down. 
They would sit down and then I would begin to engage them on safety. The good news is you're up top now, you're looking around, you're starting to feel the wind sway the tower a little bit, you're not on the ground, so safety is now at the top of their minds, okay? And so I would start off, I would say, hey, safety is our primary concern for you. If you are not being safe, we will put you on the ground. If you are thinking about not being safe, we will put you on the ground. If I see in your eyes even the hint that you're thinking about not being safe, I will put you on the ground. To which teenagers kind of like, they're like, really? What are my eyes saying now? Huh? Huh? Put me on the ground, I dare you, right? And so there was this kind of dialogue going on with the students as I was giving them these safety precautions. And so we had a, a number of gear that we would begin to walk them through. I would say, okay, here's your rope. This is the rope. This is what you're going to hang from. This rope will at no point break. It will at no point fray. It will not sever itself in the middle of anything. It will hold 50 of you. This rope is safe. And then I would ask them, do you believe that this rope is safe? And they would say, yeah, 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 the rope is safe. Let's not over-dramatize the fact that it's a rope, Jeremy. And, and at this point, they would begin to get a little restless. So you'd have the guy raise his hand. Hey, I've done this before. Do you have to listen to you? Yes. You have the guy who raises his hand. Hey, can we just climb? Do we need the safety lesson? Yes. You'd have the other one who's like, Jeremy, it's a rope. Come on, bro. Let's go. Let's go. And so I'd say, okay. Here's a carabiner. The carabiner will attach to the rope. It will attach to you. This carabiner at no time will bend, break, or snap. Do you believe that this carabiner is safe? They would say, yes, it's safe. Come on. Let's get to this. Yes, 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 it's safe. I know it. Jeremy, let's go. Okay, we've got a harness, guys. This harness will be put on you. We will loop it. We will loop it again. We'll loop it a third time just for kicks. And then, you know, just to make sure you know you're safe, we'll loop it a fourth time. You will not fall out of this harness. Do you believe that this harness is safe? What do I have to say to, to, to do what, what we're fixing to do? Is it yes? Yes. Then yes. And you'd always have the group of students who are like, yeah, 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 it's safe. It's safe. We got it. Can we do this? And so it was always that group of students who were like, yeah, 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 it's safe, that I would always have go first when we begin the repelling lesson. Why? Because they're telling me that they are not afraid, right? They understand that safety is first and foremost. They're saying, yeah, 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 I got it. Let's do this. And so we would put the harness on them. We would get them buckled in. We would push them, not push them, sorry, don't. Pine Cove Christian Camps does not sponsor us pushing kids down repelling lines, um, <laughs> We would not push them. We would walk them to the edge. And what's interesting is all the students, or for the most part, 90% of the students who were like, yeah, 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 it's safe. Can we just do this? The second they got to that edge would just become unhinged. They would begin to freak out, like lose it. Like it doesn't matter that just moments ago that they were sitting there saying, yeah, 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 it's safe. Yeah, 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 it's safe. Can we go? I'm ready to go. And then the second it came time for them to actualize the fact that they are safe, they couldn't do it. And so we would walk them through a natural progression. We'd say, is the rope breaking? Is the rope fraying? Is the rope on fire at any place? No, it's not. Okay, is the carabiner bending? Is the carabiner breaking? Does the carabiner look like it's too weak to hold you? No, it's not. Have I, have I forgotten what I'm doing up here? Am I terrifying you? And they're like, no, no, no. Then what's the deal? And it's in that moment that I began, became aware and they became aware that they knew they were safe they knew that the carabiner and rope and the harness would not fail them, but yet their actions betrayed what they knew. 
That when it became time to actualize what they knew in their head, to actually jump out and enjoy the experience that we've worked this safety experience so hard for, that when it came time to take that leap, they were like, no, 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 can't do it. Why? Because they knew, but they couldn't apply it. Their actions betrayed what they knew. So why do I tell you that? Well, we're in the book of 1 John, and 1 John will use the word love 47 times throughout its short book. And he will use the word love 26 times in the short chapter that we just read. And so if you want kind of the cliff note version of where we're going this morning, it's the simple truth. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. So if you're a believer in the room this morning, you are loved by the maker of heaven and earth. You are loved by the creator of the universe. You are loved by the God we worship. You are loved by him. You are loved. Now I'm sure even as I say that, there's a group of you in a room this large, as I say that to you, you're like, really? That's what you got for us. You're loved by God. They're like, Jerry, I don't know what you're doing downstairs with the college kids, but come on, this is big church, man. We're meat and potatoes, let's dive in. Loved by God? I know that if I were to pass out a test right now and there's just one question on it, and that question is simply, do you know that God loves you? The majority of us in this room are going to answer true, right? Yes, he loves me. Why are you telling me this? This isn't JV, let's go varsity. You had one shot and that's what you brought. But yet, this is what John tells us. He says this in verse 16. So we have come to know, check this out, and to believe the love that God has for us. John says, so you have come to know and believe the love God has for us. So what John is saying is the very same thing that I tell these students or the very same situation that I had these students as they stand on the ledge. And I ask you this morning, do you know and believe or do you just know that God loves you? Because just as those students, if you know and believe, then you are going to jump off that platform. If you know and believe that God loves you, it will impact, it will change how you live. Do you know and believe God loves you? And so what we're going to look at this morning is is essentially, John's gonna unpack, okay, those of you who know and believe, This is what your life's going to look like. So he's gonna kind of give us a gut check. So those of us who are like, I know that God loves me. Okay, John's gonna say, does your life look like this? He's gonna give us two characteristics. Those of us who maybe you're more like me, who you struggle throughout each week wondering, maybe does God love me? John's going to walk us through a progression of how we can know and believe, how we can move from knowing God loves us to really believing God loves us. And so we're gonna deal with the first one first naturally, because it's first. We're gonna deal with those of us who know and believe. And John's gonna give us two characteristics that are indicative of our lives if we know and believe God loves us. He's gonna say this, the first characteristic of those who know and believe that God loves them is there is a fearlessness about them. There is a fearlessness about them. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if we know that God loves us, it says you will not be fearful. 
So if we are a people who know and believe that God loves us, then our lives are gonna be marked by a level of fearlessness, a level of courage that we're moving out in the things that God has called us to do. That we're not so concerned about when we walk into a room what people think of us. We're not concerned about our status. Why? Because we're loved by God. We're not really concerned about our bank account. We're not concerned about stashing away for the future. Why? Because God loves us. He is in control. He has us. He wants to do great things for us. There's a level of fearlessness even in that. We're not even concerned about the future. We're not worried about tomorrow, the next day, what's going to happen over the span of a year. We're not worried about, we're not even worried about death. Why? God loves us. God loves us. And when you begin to internalize that, not just know about it, but when you begin to internalize it, it will change you that you begin to move out in a fearlessness and a courageousness. That's why we sing, we're running into your arms. Why? Why? Why don't we run into each other's arms? Because God's the only one who can save us. God is the only one who can protect us. God is the one who loves us most. God is the one who loves us first and foremost. God is the one who loves us. That's why when we read passages like Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, why can we move into that? Because there's a level of love here that allows me to actualize that relationship so I'm moving out. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil, why? God loves me. And because the God of the universe loves me, because the God of the universe is at work in my life, because the God of the universe has me and he's active, doesn't really matter because God is at work. God loves me. So the first characteristic John says is, listen, if you know and believe that you are loved by God, then there's a level of fearlessness in your life. We're not an anxious people. We're not worried about what's going to happen because God is ultimately in control. The second thing that marks those who know and believe that they are loved by God is there's a freedom to love others. There's a freedom to love others. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Listen to this again. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's interesting, he gives us a command here, right? The command is love one another. But did you notice in that command, it's not a threat? He doesn't threaten us. He doesn't say, hey, listen, if you don't love them, then God is not going to smile upon you anymore. If you don't love others, then you're not saved. That's not John's method here. He doesn't do that at all. Instead, he simply says this, love one another. Why, John, why should we love each other? Because love's from God. Love's from God. That's why we should love others. He points to the source. He says, listen, when you know and believe that you are loved by God, when you embrace his love, that love becomes extended. It's just a natural thing. When you are so filled by the God of love that he loves you, you're going to naturally extend it. It's like telling a fish to swim or a bird to fly. It's just what they do. It's who we are. Why? Because we know and believe we are loved by God. It changes us. It changes us. We're no longer worried about walking into the room and wondering if we uh, measure up to what everyone's expectations of are, are, are of us. We no longer walk into that room trying to leverage people for our own good. We no longer walk into that room trying to uh, raise our status. Why? Because we're already loved by God. 
The God of the universe loves us. That's all you need. He loves us. And because we know and believe that, it causes us to walk in that room and love others, right? We begin to engage them. We begin to seek their needs. Hey, how are you doing? And they're like, well, no, no, you, how are you? No, it's not about me. I want to know how you're doing. Tell me how you're doing. How can I help you? How can I love you? Why? Because that's what happens. Love embrace becomes love extended. And we know this, right? When you begin to love someone, you want to introduce them, right? You want to people to know that I love this person and you're going to love them too because I love them. We share them with everyone, right? We don't hide it. It's not like you love someone, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. No, no, no. You tell everyone. You're grabbing people into that relationship and saying, hey, I love this person. Will you, will you just see what's going on here? This is an amazing thing. And so John says these work collectively together. If you say you know and believe that God loves you, then your life is going to be marked by a level of fearlessness, that you're moving out, that you're doing the things God has called you to do, that you're not worried about the finances for that mission trip, that you're not worried about that promotion, you're worried about doing the right thing, that you're not worried about the circumstances in the world because God is ultimately in control. And because you know he loves you, then, then you begin to love others. And that's where change begins to happen. That's when God really begins to work in our lives. And so I ask you, I come back to our, our, our question that we started with, do you know and believe that God loves you? Do you know and believe? And if you're sitting there and you say, yeah, yeah, I know and believe God loves me. then I'm gonna say, okay, well, John says this is characteristics of your life. You're moving out in a level of fearlessness and courage that is unlike anything we could ever know. And because you're moving out in fearlessness and courage, because you're trusting God with your finances, because you're trusting God with the future, because you're trusting God with leading your family, because you're doing all of this, then you're loving others. Because we know and believe in the love of God, it changes us. We begin to walk out in a fearlessness and we begin to love others. It is just who we are. And some of us now are thinking, well, hey, 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 well, slow down there, all right? Um, I know and believe this, but listen, I've got, and you don't know my world. I mean, we gotta have money to eat, so I gotta work. We gotta move up the ladder so that we have more money to eat because we're making kids. Uh, I've, I've got soccer practice. I've got uh, things to take my kids to. I've got other things, priorities going on in my life. And so what you're saying is a bit drastic. No, I'm just simply saying engage those around you. If you know and believe that God loves you, that means when you're at that soccer practice, you're being intentional with the other dad standing there or the other mom standing there. When you're at, that, uh, when you're at work and you're standing by the water cooler, you're being intentional about those conversations there. Why? Because there's a fearlessness. I don't really care what they think of me because God loves me. I want them to know God loves them. There's a level of courageousness in it. And there's a level of love that we're extending to others. And so I ask you, do you know and believe? Do you know and believe that God loves you? Because it'll change you. It will change you. It can't help but change you. And that's why John said these are characteristics. He can write it and we can look at it 2,000 years after he writes it because they're the same truths as they were then as they are today. I remember when this truth first hit home to me, I was, uh, I was in college and I began to have uh, panic attacks. Um, and so they were pretty much uh, demobilizing, crippling to me. I would have them. They would not go away. It would be in terms of three days a week, sometimes as long as two weeks a month. And I just couldn't do anything. 
lay on the floor, couldn't really go to class, couldn't really eat, couldn't really do much of anything. It really immobilized me. And so I began to seek help from it. I first went to a doctor. The doctor says, take this medicine. I was like, well, listen, I'll take the medicine because I do believe medicine works and is helpful and we can utilize that. But I also wanted to dig into what's going on with my relationship with God. What's going on spiritually? I know that the Bible speaks of spiritual warfare, and so is that, is that what's going on here? And so I began to go into Christian counseling, and so I went to counseling for some three years dealing with these panic attacks that I had. And after about six months, I was going to leave. Summer was coming up, and I was gonna leave, and I was gonna do a solo hike for about five days up in Colorado. And so uh, the counselor set me down and said, hey, listen, let's, let's be intentional about this time in the wilderness. Let's be intentional about the time that you're in creation to really utilize this to work on this area of your life. And I was like, cool, let's do this. He began to walk me through some questions. And I was like, okay, good question. Okay, good question. Okay, good question. And then he stopped. He stopped and said this. He's like, you know what? Forget all that. That's, I don't think that's at the core. Let's, let's wipe the slate clean. And let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe God loves you? Like he's on your team. He's on your side. He wants what's best for you. He is at work in your life. He is present now, and he will be present in the future. Do you believe that God loves me, loves you? And I stopped, and I thought, and I was like, no. I mean, I know it, because that's our gospel, right? Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we could be back in relationship with God. Yes, I know it, but I don't really believe that he loves me. Like, I always saw it as he loves us collectively. But instead, I probably believe this about God, and it's probably where some of you are this morning. I believe that God was actually, in some ways, mildly disappointed with me. Let's forget love. I actually believe that I was disappointing him. And it was in that moment that he began to speak truth into my life. He said, listen, what you said is you know that God loves you, but you don't believe it. You don't believe it because if you did, it would mark your life. And he said, listen, before we can get anywhere, before you can do anything else in your relationship with God, you have to know that God loves you. Until we begin to actualize that truth that we know and believe, we will never fulfill the call that God has on our lives because we don't really trust him, right? We don't do things for people we don't trust. Love is at the core of that trust. Do you know and believe? And I remember I went on that hike. About two, three days went by and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm God, I, I want to. I'm, I'm not there. I want to. I don't know how to. And I remember I found for lunch, I found this rock next to a stream. And, and so the stream was going by and I just, I sat there and began to pray. And I remember in that moment, I, I felt kind of the spirit come over me. I don't mean to over-centralize this at all or over-sensationalize this, or over-spiritualize it, for that matter. But I remember in that moment, God simply asked me, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you know that I love you? That I love you? And I remember it was in that moment, I began to weep. And I began to say, God, I'm in. I'm all in. I don't care if my life blows up because I'm, 
I'm moving into this love that you have for me. I don't care if I go home and people make fun of me. I don't care about that because I want to know, I want to live into this reality that you love me. Like, I want that to change my life. And it's in that moment that I, I just sent the spirit come over me and I was like, wow. Like, my eyes are opened. Like, it changed me. And so I went home and actually I had to have a conversation. I was graduating from college. This was kind of like the six-month window or the, the summer between graduating from college and uh, um, finding a job. Um, and I went home and I told my mom, I was like, hey, mom, I need to tell you something. She's like, what? I said, I, I think God's calling me into vocational ministry. And she was like, and I, listen, I, I don't know if my mom's gonna listen to this podcast or not. My parents are great. They've grown a lot. This is, I don't know, 14 years ago. Um, but in that moment, she said, Jeremy, there are people for that. That's a good point, Mom. You, <laughs> that's true. There are people for that. I think I'm one of them. She's like, no, 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 I don't think you heard me. There are people for that. That's not us. Like, no, I think it is. But why was I able to step into that moment in that time? Because at that time, I believe God loved me. And because he loved me, I'm able to move out and love others that really the call in his life is loving people well. And so he called me into vocational ministry so that I can love people. Now, you don't have to be in vocational ministry to actualize, to know and believe that God loves you. It just means, hey, believe and move out in areas he calls you to. Do things, have conversations with people that you're not having those conversations with, but you know that the Spirit is calling you to have those conversations. Move out and do missions. Why? Because God is calling you to do missions. Don't worry about the finances. God will take care of that. Love people well in your workplace, in your soccer practices, in your schools, in PTA. When God gets a hold of you and when you begin to actualize that he loves you, it will literally change you. So do you know and believe? Do you know and believe he loves you? Do you know and believe it? And so, if you're on the camp that I was uh, there for a little bit in the sense of, I don't know. I don't know if God loves me. How do I get there? Well, good news. John will take us through that. He doesn't just leave us hanging. He doesn't just say, hey, you need to know and believe. Awesome. See you guys later. No, he begins to walk us through that process. But before we get there, I simply want to talk about what love looks like in the real world. What love looks like in the real world. And this is where... Ben Stewart was really helpful because he said there are really three things that we know when love is present. And so how do we, as people living in the world, how do we know when love's present? How do you know when you're sitting on a park bench and a couple walks by, you're just able to be like, yeah, they love each other. What's going on in that moment? How do you know when love is present? I mean, you can't touch it. You can't pick it up. You can't measure it. You can't contain it. You can't put love in a cup and hand it to someone and say, what is this? It's a little cup of love. You can't do that. It doesn't work like that. So how do we know when love is present? There's three ways he gave us. The first is that love initiates. Love initiates. And I'm, I'm gonna pause and I want you to repeat after me because these are really important for us to actualize that God loves me. So repeat after me. Love initiates. Love initiates. It moves. I work with college students, and so there's a lot of love in the air a lot of the times, all right? I've never had a conversation with a guy on a couch where he's just simply sitting there thinking, man, 
I love that girl. Fascinating. No, it just, it just doesn't happen. Why? Because love initiates. He begins to do things that he never would have been doing. I began to see pictures on Instagram of him like in a rose garden and in an art museum, and I'm like, what is going on? He loves a girl. He's doing things that he doesn't normally do. He's initiating. Love causes us to initiate. It causes us to send text messages. It causes us to call people on the phone. It causes us to send emails. For you older people, I'm sure it will cause you to send faxes. I don't know. That's just, just throwing that out there. But love initiates, right? Love causes us to move. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering what Christianity is all about, this is at the core of who we are, that God came. He came after us. We're not here this morning because we wanna follow a set of moral rules. We're not here this morning because if we're not here, then God's not going to be appeased and so he's gonna zap us. We're here because we simply received the message, I love you, I'm coming for you. Love initiates. The second way that we know that uh, love is present is love sacrifices. Repeat after me, love sacrifices. Love sacrifices, and we know this because this is how the entertainment industry gets our money, straight up. They will take it out of your pocket because love sacrifices. All of it is built around seeing a couple love, someone sacrifices, we're moved into it, and that's the story. For the older generation in the room, this is the movie Titanic, right? Jack and Rose. Jack loves Rose. Bad news, the Titanic sinks. They're out in the water. There's only one door. Jack says, I want you to be on that door. And Rose is like, no, 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 let's die together. And Jack's like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would both of us die? He was a practical guy, right? We're always reasoning, logical progression. Like, no, you stay on the door. Eventually, Jack does what? He dies. He sacrifices. Why? Because love sacrifices. For my college students, that's Bruno Mars, right? Love will cause you to catch a hand grenade. What, what is that? Like, what type of lyric is that, is that like... Love sacrifices, it causes you to do things, to put yourself in danger, that it would wound yourself. Why? Because love sacrifices for the younger generation here. That's the movie Frozen, right? Little Anna takes the sword for Elsa. Why? Love sacrifices. We know that love's present because it initiates and because it sacrifices. And lastly, we know that love's present because it stays. It stays. Repeat after me, love stays. Love initiates, love sacrifices, and love stays. These are those moments when everyone else leaves and that person stays. These are the moments in your life where you're going through crisis, you're going through uh, unknown circumstances, you're going through hurt, you're going through decisions, you're going through any number of things. These are the moments when people stay, that they're there, why? Because that's what love does. And so that's how we know when love is present. Just us, just looking out at the world, we know that love is present because it initiates, because it sacrifices, and because it stays. And so John is gonna say, hey, guess what? I'm glad you guys understood that because God created you in his image, and so he knows that that's how you know when love is present. And so he's going to walk us through how we know in the midst of uncertainty of our lives that our fears and that our feelings will be fleeting, but that we can come back to the word of God and know and believe that he loves us. Watch how he does this. He says this. This is how love initiates. He says, okay, so we know love initiates. Verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
How do we know God loves us? Because he came. He initiated. Why did he initiate? Because he loves us. How do you know God loves you? Because he came for us. He didn't send an email. He didn't send a text message. He didn't send uh, a fax. He didn't do any of that. He actually stepped onto the scene. He gave us Jesus Christ. He gave us the best of heaven. His son came and lived into our lives. He initiated. He came for us. Love initiates, and so does God. So does God. Second way, love doesn't just initiate, but it sacrifices. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Jesus didn't just come at the risk of his life, he came at the cost of his life. And John will say, Jesus was a propitiation for our sins. Now, this word propitiation is a big word that we kind of throw around in church circles. But really, when you begin to unpack it and you begin to look at the context of it in the Old Testament, it's actually, it's a very beautiful word. See, in the Old Testament, God's people were the nation of Israel. He said, I've called you to be set apart so that people will know that I'm your God so that they will be drawn to me through your actions. What actions? Oh, that you know I love you and you're extending that love because you're walking in truth and faith and fear and that you know I love you. So they know this. And so they would set up a temple. Inside that temple would be a room. That room was called the Holy of Holies. Inside that room would be a box. The box would be made of hammered gold. It would have two statues of angels on top that would form a seat. We would call this the mercy seat. Inside that box would be the 10 commandments. These are God's perfection on paper or stone. These are what God has said, listen, if you want a relationship with me, this is how you do it. Follow this. And so on those papers would be things like, this is what, how men should interact with women. This is how women should interact with men. This is how parents should interact with children, how children should interact with parents. And so God looks down and he sees exactly what you and I see every day, right? Unfaithfulness. Women not respecting men, men not respecting women, children not respecting families, families running amok. And so he says, this room, you can't be in it. This room remains empty. Why? Because God can't have any part of our sin. He can't have any part of us in the midst of our turmoil, except, except one day a year, he would let a priest come in. That priest would come in with the blood of an unblemished lamb. He'd bring that blood in and he would take a branch, he would dip the branch in it and he would smear the blood on the top between the seat and between the 10 commandments. So that as God looked down, he would see the blood of a pure lamb as a sacrifice and that's where he would stop. And he would allow the nation of Israel to engage in relationship. For us today as New Testament believers, that day is known as Good Friday that Jesus stepped, not only did he initiate, but he stepped into our world to be what? A propitiation for our sins, that he died on behalf of us so that in a relationship with Christ, God doesn't see the mess, he sees Christ. And because we see Christ, because we're in Christ, because we are knowing and actualizing that he loves us, that we're walking in his truth, that we are changing and that's causing us to love others that Jesus was a propitiation for our sins. And lastly, so we know that love initiates, we know love sacrifices, and lastly, love stays. It says this in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, uh, sorry, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us 
his spirit. By this, we know and abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Before Christ leaves, he tells his disciples, hey, I'm gonna leave you. And they start freaking out, which makes sense, right? They left their family, they left their friends, they left their livelihoods, they've been walking with Christ through some incredible things, and then all of a sudden Christ is like, hey, I'm gonna go be with the Father and prepare a place for you. And they're like, whoa, 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 forget the place for us, stay here. And he's like, hey, listen, I'm giving you the Spirit. The Spirit will stay with you. So how do we know in the midst of our fleeting emotion, in the midst of our fleeting fears that God loves us? Well, we know because he initiated, he came for us. We know because he sacrificed that we're able to step into relationship with him and we know because he stays. And so what I want you to see this morning that the entire God, the triune God is pursuing us with a simple question. Do you know that I love you? God sends his son, his son sacrifices, the spirit stays. This is love. Do you know and believe? Maybe some of you are saying, I want to, I want to. John does this, verse 15. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So if you are on the outside looking in, God says, listen, I love you. I love you, be a part of the family. How? Understand that I initiated for you. Understand that I sacrificed for you. Understand that I'm gonna give you the Spirit so you can live in and through me. That's how. And so I leave you with a question, do you know and believe? Because here's the reality for us as a church. If we stay on the no, if we stay on the no, then we are never leaving the platform. We are never leaving the platform to repel out in God's great journey that he has for us. We're just standing there saying, I, I, I can't do it, God, I can't do it. But when we as a church begin to actualize that we no longer know, but we believe that's when we start doing things that blow our mind that we would have never done before. Why? Because we trust God. We trust what he's doing, calling us to do. We begin to move out. We begin to say statements like, I can't even believe that that happened. Why? Because we trusted God. It wasn't of ourselves. That's what I love about God is if you can step back and say, yeah, I did this. I don't, I'm not saying God's not a part of it, but most times when I step back and say, I have... <laughs> I have no idea how that came together. That's God. That's saying, hey, you trusted me, I got the details. And for us, the church, to, to move from being a church that knows, but to be a church that believes, and allow God to change the world through us, right? Church is his mechanism. Let's know and believe. Let me pray for us and we'll close in worship. Father, this is uh, at the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of your message to us. Um, it doesn't matter if we know great theological terms. It doesn't matter if we uh, know Bible verses. It doesn't matter if we've got memorized Bible verses or we're in a small group or we're in any other things. It does not matter unless we really know and believe that you love us. Or until we know and believe, we'll never actualize the faith the life that you've given us. And so I just pray, Lord, I pray that, that even in my own life, in those moments this week where I begin to doubt your presence, when I begin to doubt whether you're at work or not, when I begin to doubt who you are, that I would come back to this passage that First John gives us, that John gives us. You initiated, you sacrificed, and you've stayed. You love me. I pray that 
that we would do the same thing as a collective body. And I pray that you would do abundantly more than what we ask or pray. Because you're God.